as we continue in praising and making petitions to this great God. Our hearts are full, O Father, that we could experience and be reminded once again that you are great and greatly to be praised. No one can understand your wisdom. It's unsearchable, the riches of your power. Lord, forgive us when we think of you as small and limited and unable. Father, you are great And we know that your great favor has turned towards us because you sent Jesus to love us when we did not deserve it. You sent Jesus to come down to us, small and insignificant as we are, and to touch us and to heal us and to remind us that our lives matter. And every small thing about our lives matters, Jesus, because we belong to you now. And you care deeply about those things that are on our hearts. We thank you, Father, for a church body where we can celebrate your greatness and we can care for even the smallest of needs. We do rejoice in our children's ministry leadership. And what a great day we had yesterday with over 600 people on this campus at that children's event, family event. Thank you, Father, for the guests that were here and for our members who invited their friends. Thank you for the gospel presentation made by Ken McCurd. Would you use our children's ministry not only to shape and form these little disciples, these warriors for Christ, but also, Lord, to use our children's ministry to advance the mission of Christ. We thank you for our youth ministry and for the leadership that is provided by D.T. House. And we do thank you for... Natalie and John, we ask you to strengthen those leaders and all the youth leaders who volunteer. We thank you for our partners in ministry that we share with Heritage Academy. Thank you for this gospel ministry, Christ-centered education that's offered to children of diverse economic, racial, and ethnic backgrounds. Thank you that we can invest in the next generation in our neighborhood. We pray for the teachers. We pray for Dr. Tucciaroni, who leads. We thank you for the opening of this preschool program, and we pray for Beth Westergreen as she leads that program. Thank you for the privilege that we have to join hands in advancing the gospel with a ministry like Heritage Academy. We do pray for all of our missionaries of the cross, especially those that are experiencing persecution, our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and in Haiti. We pray for the mercy of Christ to protect them. We pray also for our Christian brothers and sisters that are being persecuted in any places in Africa or Asia around the world. We also pray for those who are sad at the loss of loved ones. Many in our midst are sad and yet we do celebrate your triumphant even in even in death, Jesus Christ, you triumph over the grave. We pray for Brick Brigham And for Carrie, at the passing of Breck's mother, we pray for Carolyn and Phil Caldwell as they mourn the death of their son, Wes. Pray for Linda and Ron Skeens and the death of Ron's brother as they have traveled to be with family. We pray for Kay Murphy and her family as they mourn the death of Don, a First Pres member. Lord, others suffer in silence, and we pray that you'd be near to them, remind them that their suffering 
brings them near to the Savior. All this we pray in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we use the words when we pray that Christ taught his disciples as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Once again to worship, Reformation Day worship here at First Presbyterian Church. We're always grateful for the ways that you love us and support this church through your prayers and also your giving. Our ushers will be walking through the aisles now. And as you know, worship giving is an act of worship. We encourage you to do that, whether that's here this morning or the other ways that are mentioned in the bulletin. But we are very grateful for your sustaining work in the ministry God is doing here. Just a couple of announcements. Uh, one, we're having an adult inquirers next Saturday, beginning at 8.30 here on the campus of the church. It'll uh, run from 8.30 in the morning till noon. Uh, Pastor Heron will be teaching that. If you've uh, been here, been visiting, and you're ready to learn more, to go deeper in what it means to be a Presbyterian, what it means to be a member of First Pres, but most importantly, what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to come and take part in that. Next Saturday, you can register for that online. Also, tonight at 6, uh, 8, 6 p.m., we're going to be worshiping outside on the green right behind St. Andrews. So I encourage you to come out and hear Dr. McCurd tonight as he preaches God's word. Would you stand? The peace of the Lord be always with you. Share that peace with one another. I encourage you to come back to your seats and we'll continue by singing.
seated. Please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We continue as we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. This is our second sermon on spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 is found, our text is found on page 1824 in the Bible provided for you in the pew. And of course, any day to be in God's house is a great day. Any day to be worshiping with God's people is a great day. And it's a great privilege to be preaching God's Word, especially this day, with God's people. Reformation Sunday, you know that October 35th, 31st, uh, 1517, Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the Wittenberg door, declaring that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and trusting in the scriptures alone that we are to live and hope. But it's also my birthday today, October 31st, and it's my wife's birthday. She's a lot younger than I am, married a bride. And Miss Bates, it's also Helen's birthday, so happy birthday to you too. Martin Luther had a profound impact of one of those reformers, Calvin and Knox and others, but he had a profound impact on the church of Jesus Christ in rediscovering and being rooted and grounded in the gospel of grace. We're not the only ones who've had or been impacted by Martin Luther even the Baptists have been impacted by Martin Luther. The Reverend Michael King in 1934 was sent to Baptist World Alliance Conference in Europe, and he requested a tour not only of the Holy City Jerusalem while he was there, but he also wanted to go to Germany and tour all the spots where Luther had ministered and preached. Reverend Michael King was so impacted by the life of Martin Luther, that he came home and officially changed his name to Martin Luther King Sr., and later his son, Martin Luther King Jr., would also change his name officially. We see in this text a kind of spiritual warfare that Martin Luther lived out all his life, and he lived and taught that there was a literal devil, and that devil was the personification of all evil in the universe, not just in the cosmos, not just on the earth. And that devil is a personal devil that we wrestle with. He has schemes and he knows our ways. And he seeks not simply to cause you to sin. He seeks to destroy your faith and to destroy your faith in Jesus Christ. We'll hear the gospel again from Ephesians 6 and be reminded while we have hope that both in this battle we can be shaped and formed like Christ and we can actually advance the mission by faith. Ephesians 6 beginning in verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, in that evil day you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to keep on standing. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and protecting you and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we praise you that the Holy Spirit will apply your word in a healing balm to each of the places where we need it today. We also thank you, Father, that your spirit will touch hearts that are cold and callous. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ, would today be the day of salvation? And remind us that our encouragement in this battle is that we belong to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've mentioned that Christian formation and spiritual warfare are not two separate things. They're really not mutually exclusive. As goes your participation in the spiritual battle, so goes your Christian formation. And as goes your refusal to participate in the spiritual battle, so goes your deformation after the enemy's character. Now, this battle that we're talking about here is not simply something that we would see on the surface like in Afghanistan or China or Haiti. Those battles are simply causes of this uncaused underlying battle. Our battle is cosmic, it's spiritual, and it's transcendent. I saw a picture of that in uh, Peru about 30 years ago, and uh, I was on a mission trip. I was actually sent to visit about 30 college students that we'd, that we'd sent throughout Peru, and we flew into Lima, which was a very large urban city, and we, about 10 of those were ministering with a church planter there in Lima. We stayed for a few days, had some gospel meetings, and then we got in a Jeep and drove to a rural part of Peru, Pilcape. And there the missionaries were ministering to a very rural group of people, and we were sharing the gospel and uh, ministering to them. And then we got in a plane and we flew by um, Christian aviation uh, to a small village town in the mountains. It's called Satipo. And it's, ima it's imagining, if you can imagine, the most rural and the most separate place on the planet. I think it was Satipo. You couldn't get there except, uh, or at least we couldn't get there except by a plane. There's a missionary there who had some disciples in a small fledgling church, and he wanted to cook out on the open fire. Now, it had been warm in Peru all the time that we were there, but the sun began to go down, and he started a fire for us, and you could see those stars begin to pop 
just so bright. And that fire was warm. But as the fire began to go out and dim, I saw some other lights. They were eyes, they were orange eyes that seemed to be moving closer and closer to the camp. He was talking to his Quechua disciples, and they were laughing, I'm sure, this gringo here, you know, he's fearful. And um, let's watch him and have a good time. At some point he said to me, as he grabbed a log, he threw the log on the fire, and he said, Keep your eyes on the fire, not on those eyes. Keep your eyes on the fire, not on those enemy eyes. Later, I was really feeling chilly. I had a small coat on, and they began to laugh again and talk, and he came over to me, and he said, When you feel cold, move closer to the fire. When you feel cold, move closer to the fire. Those two pieces of advice spoke to me in the way that Paul speaks to the church at Ephesus. He says for us to stand firm. That means that we're to look not at those evil eyes around us. We're to look at the fire. And when we feel cold, we're not only to stand firm, we're to stand together and we're to close ranks and we're to move towards the fire. I'll ask you this morning, in your battle, your spiritual battle, where are you looking? Where are your eyes? Last week we covered that the battlefield is fought in the air, on the ground, and in our hearts, and we have a real enemy who would battle for our soul. As I said, Satan's goal is not simply to convince you to sin, but to destroy your faith in Jesus Christ. But we're called to stand firm. Because we're united to Christ, we're called to fight the fight of faith. Well, what does it mean to stand firm? Paul says you stand in the armor of God and you stand firm in the evil day. And then Paul says that we're to stand together. We struggle together and we do everything as we struggle together. I'll probably not get through point number two, uh, but we are in a series. Next week, Paul Koester will be here, and as we continue our vision and values celebration of our new mission statement, but then the following week, we'll look probably more closely at what does it mean to stand together and to do everything. But let's look at stand firm this morning. Paul says, stand firm in the armor of God. He's been telling us that we have garments that we are to wear, these new garments that we're to put off our old selves and to put on the new man, this righteous provision of God's salvation. We're also told that when we get to heaven, we'll receive robes of righteousness. But here, the garments that we're wearing is armor. And this is not something that we provide. This is something that's provided for us. We are to appropriate that provision, but it's what the Lord has provided. Six pieces of armor... And if you count prayer, you could say seventh armor, heaven's armor-bearing provisions made for us so that we know we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. Now, some people would read this list, the armor of God, and they would say this is the kind of character that the Christian should have. We should have truth wrapped around our belts. We should have be people of faith. We should... Um, be people who uh, bear the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is that all of the armor has been provided for you. And that provision is a specific piece of armor to protect you in an area where you are vulnerable as a Christian. And so putting on the full armor is applying the gospel of grace and the work of Christ on the cross to whatever is your particular place of need. Now, we'll look at each of those in just a second, but turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2 is, or Colossians is a parallel epistle that was also uh, circled in uh, Ephesus at the same time Paul wrote to both the Ephesians and the Colossians in that Asia Minor area. And Paul says this about how God defeated the enemy. It was through the cross. Colossians 2.15, When you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the debt and the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross of Christ is our comprehensive and complete provision for all of our needs. And each piece of the armor points to what our needs or places of vulnerability might be. Now flip back to Ephesians 3, and Paul has already told us how the gospel is the defeat not only of the enemy, but it's the declaration to all of the authorities in high places that his eternal purposes will be accomplished. Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 11. Of this gospel I was made minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all these saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, that armor, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that, now get this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How is God going to declare that Satan has been defeated and that Jesus has overcome? Through the church, those who believe in the finished work of Christ. It says that in the heavenly places it will be declared by their faith that the eternal purposes of God are realized in Jesus Christ. You see what Paul is saying, that the armor of God is all the equipment that we need to live by faith and to defeat the devil's lies. The devil's schemes, as we said last week, is to lie and deceive us, and in so doing to cause us to doubt God's love and to distrust God's wisdom. When you doubt God's love and you distrust God's wisdom, you open yourself up. You're vulnerable for the evil one to cause you to sin. Well, let's look at the armor that's provided, the protection and provision. I chose to 
teach through these together because I think that's what Paul is saying here. It's not as if each individual part is not connected. It's how, through the cross, God defeats evil and provides what we need. First, he says that we are to wrap ourselves in the belt of truth. The Roman soldier wore a belt to hold up his covering, his outer garment, so that he could move and have mobility. It also, the belt was where he held his sword so he could move. And Romans 12 says that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're to be held up and shaped and transformed by the truth of God's Word. The gospel is to be our, is to, we're to be wrapped, it's to be our truth. He says not only are we have, do we have a belt of truth, we have a breastplate of righteousness. A Roman soldier had covering on his front and his back. All of his vital organs were covered. And that breastplate, we're told, is a breastplate of righteousness. Whenever righteousness is used in the New Testament, Paul is referring to Christ's righteousness on our behalf. Each piece tells us that God has given us what we could not do in our own strength. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. But he covers us in the righteousness of Christ. This is when the devil will tell you that your performance is what's required in order to gain God's acceptance. The devil will tell you that you've not done enough, that you've not sacrificed enough, that you're not worthy. And in that moment, you are to tell the devil, the blood of Christ cleanses me from all my sin. I stand in the breastplate of righteousness. And then he says the gospel shoes or boots of the soldier, they're to bring peace. Now some say this is referring to evangelism and sharing the gospel with others. Probably Paul's talking about the assurance of peace that is brought to us so that we can move out in faith against all evil. That assurance of peace has been accomplished in our conscience because Jesus has paid it all. Not only the, uh, the boots of peace, but the shield of faith to protect us from Satan's flaming, fiery darts. Satan would aim at us, and we've been given a shield, probably four foot by two foot, a large shield that we would be able to pr be protected against the evil one's fiery darts. And Satan sends fiery darts. God uses those fires, as Peter says, to refine us and to shape us more and more like Christ. And then the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation reminds us that Satan will attack in our thoughts. Satan has access to our minds, and he can plant thoughts in our minds that will lead us to doubt God's love and to distrust God's wisdom. And Martin Luther said that Satan will take a gnat and make it a camel in our minds, and he will speak to us that which is distorted in order, us, in order for us to doubt God's love or question God's wisdom. But we have the helmet of salvation that protects us. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is both a defensive and offensive weapon for the attack of Satan's lies. What did Jesus do in the wilderness? We read it earlier. He quoted Satan's scripture. It is written, it is written, it is written. Get behind me, Satan. 
And that's what we do when we battle these thoughts in our minds. We quote scripture and we remind ourselves in our hearts that Jesus has paid it all. And then lastly, prayer. You see, prayer brings intimacy and friendship. It reminds us that God is our Father. Not only is He our King who protects us, He's our Father who loves us, and He will protect us from even doubting Satan's evil schemes. What Paul is saying here is that we're to bring the full provision of God to bear against the schemes of the devil. Not only is that how we grow spiritually, that is how we defeat evil. I read that Colin Powell died last week. You know Colin Powell was a military leader in this nation. At one point, the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman. He also was Secretary of State. And uh, years ago, Leighton Ford had an invitation-only leadership conference, and I was invited to this conference, and Colin Powell was the speaker. And among many things that he talked about, he talked about how strategies for war changed from Vietnam till the Gulf War. And he said, we began to recognize that we needed much more preparation to identify the plans of the enemy. And we would wait and wait and wait until we were ready to bring overwhelming force against our opponent in order to subdue them. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Christian, we're to be prepared, we're to wait, and we're to bring the overwhelming force of what the cross of Jesus Christ has accomplished in any place of doubt or weakness or despair that we find ourselves. Philip Melanchthon was Martin Luther's closest associate. They wrote regularly to one another, and after Luther nailed those 95 theses to the Wittenberg door, he was told that Charles V was going to have him arrested, and so a bishop hid him in the Wartburg Castle for 10 months. It gave Luther time to get a lot of writing done and protect him from political authorities. But Luther would say that those 10 months, he, bit, he did battle with the devil face-to-face -face like never in his whole experience. Melanchthon tells of a vision or a dream that Martin Luther had. He woke up, and at the foot of his bed was the devil himself. The devil had a long list, and he was reading out his sins, and he read one by one all of Martin Luther's sins. He got to the bottom, and Luther said, is that all? Keep reading. And he read and read and read and read, and he flipped the page. He says, is that, is that all? Keep reading. And then Luther said, but on every sheet of paper, right in blood across those sins, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's the armor of God. When we are told in our minds that we're unworthy, because we are. When we're told in our minds that God does not love us, that's the devil's evil that would twist God's love because Christ has paid it all. I was thinking about if... What if you were a father at the time when the death angel was coming and those that had the blood uh, placed on the doorpost to pass over the judgment of the death angel? What if you were a father talking to another father and you wondered, have I been a good father? What if 
God looks at my fathering and he says, I've not been the father that I should. Will he pass over or will he judge me? What if you said, my son has not been a good son. He's not obeyed God. He's not obeyed his parents. What if you doubted whether or not your son would be protected under that blood post? What if you said, we've not been faithful in our practices, in our spiritual practices on the Sabbath? Another father would say to you, it matters not how you feel. All that matters is there blood on your post and does it cover your family? It's what Jesus has done for us that defeats the lies of the devil and reassures us that we belong to him. We are to stand firm in the strength of his might. But Paul says something else here. We're to stand firm in the evil day. What does he mean by that phrase, stand firm in the evil day? He's already said in chapter 5, verse 16, that to make the most of your time because the days are evil. I don't think Paul is talking about just the days are evil. Some would think maybe he's talking about that last day, the day of judgment of evil before Jesus returns. I think he's talking about, I agree with Sinclair Ferguson, he's talking about that every believer at some point will experience and maybe multiple dark nights of the soul. A season of temptation, a season of sifting, a season where you will wonder if you have enough strength to live or to praise God's name. The doubt, the depression, the discouragement that will flood your soul because of the evil one will take away your strength. Think about Job 1 and 2. Satan has a conversation with God, and Satan says, if you take away that hedge around Job, he'll curse you. And God says, you can do everything that you want to do, except you cannot take his life. First, his property vanishes. Then his provision of cattle and all of his crops vanishes. And then his children and family vanish and die. What does Job 2 say that Job did when all of this happened? It says he fell on his face and worshipped. He says, naked I came into this world from the womb. Naked I shall leave, but the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan, you cannot tempt me to curse God. You cannot lead me to doubt God's goodness. And then it was his health, and he took him through that sifting. You know, we're told that the night before Jesus died, two of his disciples were sifted by Satan. Judas, Satan came into the body of Judas, and Jesus told Peter, 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 Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, and when you return, strengthen your brethren. I think we all face some measure of the dark night of the soul in this life because the evil one not only hates Jesus, he hates everyone who belongs to Jesus. And he has a goal to convince you to curse your Savior. I can think back on 
the time when I became the lead pastor here, those first several years, I think I felt the sifting of the evil one. You can ask Dan Boone or Billy English or Russ Ayers or John Farmer, the kinds of battles that we had in this sanctuary and in this church where evil arrived and said that this church will not be sustained by Jesus. And one of the elders stopped me one day and said, Mike, how are you doing? I said, well, uh, not very good. He said, well, you look terrible. And I said, well, I feel like I'm being sifted. I've never felt the kind of oppression up close that I feel right now. The next day, he showed up with five other elders. They laid their hands on me. They prayed for me. They pray for me every day. On Saturdays, I walk through this sanctuary, and I pray. I stand in all of these places, and I go up into the balcony, and I pray for you that God would protect you from Satan's evil. Someone asked me, they said, Mike, Sunday's such an exhausting day for you. Do you take Monday off? I said, absolutely not. I would never take Monday off. Surprised them. I said, we battle evil all day long on Sunday. I would never be alone on Monday. I would never let Satan have access to me in that place of vulnerability. In the last several years, we've changed what we do on Mondays. I'll have to admit, under our former leadership, and I adopted that, Monday was a strategy day. Monday was a planning day. Monday was an organizational day. I want you to know what Monday is now for this staff. It's prayer day. It's a care for the soul day. The staff gather and we pray. We care for one another. The pastors pray for one another. We care for one another. We cast all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. We lift up our eyes to him and we look to him and we say, these are your people and this is your battle. We need your strength. You know, next week I'll talk more about week after next about what does it mean to stand together. But that Roman garrison legends and cohorts, what would they do? They would close ranks when the evil was near. They would move close to the fire and they would protect one another. I want you to know, as the battle rages around us, we need to move closer to one another. We need to ask ourselves, what does it take for us not only to be protection for ourselves, but also for one another? Martin Luther, I mentioned, spoke of that dark night of the soul, but he also spoke of the power to defeat evil. And he was troubled by the fact that the church had gotten to the point where the Bible was not being read in their native tongue. They were not offering prayers in the native language, and they were not singing songs. He talked about songs of praise push back evil and defeat the lies of the devil. Have you not experienced that? Do you not believe that when we're here? This body loves to sing, and I love to hear your voices. And I want you to know we're not just being reminded that God loves us. We are pushing back evil in the cosmos. 
as we declare a mighty fortress is our God. We're going to sing that after I pray, but these words that Martin Luther wrote, it was during those 10 months, during a plague in his city, at a time when he was feeling sifted. Listen to these words. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark. Never will he fail. Our helper, he, amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing, yet still our ancient foe, he seeks to work us woe. His craft and his power are great. He's armed with cruel hate. On this earth there is no equal. But did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side standing for us. The man of God's own choosing. You ask who this may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath is his name. Age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. When we sing that, brothers and sisters, let your soul believe that. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours, and through in whom we have sighteth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Praise his name. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, your Lord. Jesus Christ, your risen. Jesus Christ, your king. All your enemies will be as a footstool under your feet. And Jesus Christ, we praise you. I pray for brothers and sisters in this congregation right now that feel that they're in the dark night of the soul, that they're being sifted, that those fiery darts are coming near to them. Holy Spirit, would you remind them that you use the fires to refine and burn out the dross in our doubts. May we move toward one another and look at the fire and not the eyes of evil. And Father, would you strengthen us to stand in this day of evil? Would you strengthen us to stand that we might praise you and declare, Jesus Christ, that you are Lord. Give us faith to believe you are enough and you are all that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.